It's like, are you serious? Like, you really think God cares what you eat, what you wear? Like, it's that kind of God. And I thought that all the emotions just sat in the brain, and I didn't know what to do with them. It brought, you know, too much confusion. A mysterious letter shows up from her old college boyfriend, throwing Merrill Feldman's life into turmoil. When a local rabbi warns her that her ex, David, has been brainwashed into a cult, Merrill is pulled into the mystical world of religious Judaism in a way that her stubbornly atheist self would never have expected. She embarks on a rescue mission to bring him home, where Merrill must come face to face with her heritage and her own beliefs about God and the universe while struggling with the powerful pulling of her heartstrings and her hope of building a life together with the man who she has always believed to be her soulmate. God Said What? is the number one trending new release in Kabbalah and mysticism and women and Judaism. We sat down for an exclusive interview with the author, Meryl, now Miriam Raquel Feldman, who's a relationship coach, somatic healer, and trailblazer that empowers countless people to trust the wisdom of their bodies, emotions, and souls. We felt that it's appropriate timing to release our conversation with Miriam this week, as this weekend is Gimel Tamil's, the 28th Yotzeit of the Lubavitcher Rebbe of Blessed Memory. Miriam was greatly influenced by the Rebbe, and in her book, she vividly brings back the incredible era of the early 90s when the Rebbe was out in full force and how her experiences with the Rebbe inspired her to live the lifestyle she lives today. It happens to be that I recently started receiving Daily Dose of Wisdom from Chabad.org. They're written by Rabbi Tzvi Freeman, and he also wrote a beautiful review on Miriam's book. And these daily doses of wisdom is wisdom from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And Svi Freeman condensed the words and made them impactful and powerful and relatable to today's world. And I was catching up on them this morning, and I highly recommend signing up to them and receiving these beautiful doses of wisdom. You can go to Chabad.org to receive them. And I want to share one with you that stood out to me that applies very much to Miriam and our conversation with her. So usually there's a a really nice quote and yeah, we love quotes. (laughs) I have the bulb. I have the wiring. I just need help finding my switch. A college student once asked the Rebbe, what is his job? And the Rebbe gestured to the ceiling of his room and replied, do you see that light bulb? It is connected by wires to an electrical generating station that powers the whole of Brooklyn. And that plant is connected to turbo generators at Niagara Falls that power the whole of New York State and more. Every one of us is a light bulb wired to an infinitely powerful generator, but the room may still be dark because the connection has not yet been made and it is hard to find a switch in the dark. The job of a Rebbe is to take your hand in that dark room and help it find the switch. I actually recently gave a a class um, and that was the theme that we all are like beautiful homes um, that were built by the greatest architect in the world, right? Like Hashem. He created us. And our mission is to find the light switch. And the reason I use the the analogy of a home is that you can have the most beautiful house with the most beautiful furniture um, that's immaculate. But if you don't turn the lights on, you won't see anything. And you have to be able to turn the lights on to see the things that are already there. That's the key is that it's already there, but you have to find the switch. So, you know, we are kind of untapped resources in that regard. Like we have to find our switch. And when we're in the dark, it's hard to do that. And so sometimes we need help from others to let us know 
you know where where the switch might be. Yeah, and I really I think it's great. It's yeah, a great analogy. I think it's a great analogy also for this story that you're about to hear in this conversation. In that Miriam was this untapped resource. Only when she started this process of a journey, and she didn't even realize where she was going to go with it. Um, did she get in touch with her soul and her identity? It's almost like she accidentally found the switch. Yeah, and yeah, it was really the timing of her life, um, where she was, who she was inspired by, and so it's really about finding the switch in our own lives that helps our mind, bodies, and soul all connect, and so that we can feel more whole. And sometimes it takes time. Yeah, sometimes it takes time to find that switch. Well, I think that's why her book is so thick because it took her time. <laughs> yeah, it was. It's a, it was a, long book but it was but every page I think had something really special on it I don't think I could have found a way to condense it and keep it as impactful as it is yeah and the Lubavitcher Rebbe was a big part of her switch Right. And um, yeah, I love your analogy too about the beautiful house and that we all, it's already there. Like we're that light bulb. It's just about turning on the switch. In fact, there's a song, I think it's by Shweki. Everything you need is inside of you. It, it's true. It's so true. It's like all of the answers are there. You just have to kind of seek them out. And once you discover them, then things start to make sense. It's interesting because we didn't put out an episode in a little while. Yeah. The goal is to have one bi-weekly, but we were both in Dubai and definitely some light switches. Absolutely. Well, we never thought we'd ever get to Dubai, but we did. We were brought out there. Uh, so yeah, I mean, Riff, Riff Gavel, they approached you and asked, um, this organization approached you to ask you if, if you would come to Dubai across the world to perform and to inspire uh, widows. And you, know, you were compelled to do it. You felt like it was a worthy cause. It's a long trip to take. And you were there for a total of what? We were there for two days. Two days, yeah. yeah. And then Rivka, you asked me if I'd do it with you and if I would maybe play piano while you sing, which I'd never done before. Well, I so. knew I knew I have I knew I had a talented podcast partner. I knew but we never actually connected musically. <laughs> I always felt like one day we would, maybe at some point. I don't know why. It just it did enter my mind, but I never thought it would happen this quickly. Maybe we manifested it just by it thinking just, about yeah. it. <laughs> You never know how things are going to play out, but it was a really nice new way to connect with you through music. And it was our first time, and you'll hear in this episode, we were very nervous about it before. We had all our fears, but we were asked to come, so we decided to take the opportunity. And it was just one of the most amazing experiences. I have to say, I was nervous about going to Dubai. I'd never been there before. I never thought I would ever go there. I did hear a lot of really cool things about it. And it's just strange, because I, I would have been compelled to say no, just because I'm for safety reasons and being worried about traveling across the world in such a short period of time but I don't know something said just go something inside of me and so I'm really glad I did and um, we're gonna have some videos available hopefully soon yeah and we hope to do more of this basically we gave a talk hopefully that inspired the women well we felt really good energy in the room so that was that was what we wanted and we also sang so that, that combination was really unique and we hope to do more of that so yeah yeah. Okay. One good thing leads to another. And so that is why um, it's taken us a little bit of time to release this. But now we're back at it. And we recorded this right before we left. And now we're releasing this right after we returned. Yeah. Anyway, this conversation really, really empowered us on our journey to Dubai and uh, led us into a great mindset to go on this journey. I think it's very important for us. I think we've, it's been a theme on, our, on this platform is to always bring in the Hasidic and the, and the Jewish approach to any issue, whether it's contempor contemporary issues or whatever it is that we discuss, it's just something that I always want to have in mind. 
And I think that, that Mary and Raquel does a great job bringing it all together. Yes. So we hope you enjoyed this, this conversation. I, I learned a lot from her. Uh, I gained so much from the conversation, things that helped me not only in Dubai, but every day, today. Same here. Yeah. yeah. And we hope it does the same for you. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Rivka. And I'm Ida. Welcome to the From the Inside Out podcast. We're mumtrepreneurs and friends who love connecting through meaningful conversations. It all started in an Uber where we were both so inspired by each other's life experiences. And it was then and there that we decided to create this platform because we believe in the power of growth, self-awareness and connection. Our goal is to bring you insights, research-backed tools, tips and shortcuts and interviews with some of our world's greatest thinkers, leaders and everyday heroes. We invite you to join us as we create positive change in mind, body, and soul. From the inside out. Hey. <laughs> Hello. Hi. How are you feeling? You're, you're together. This is very nice. Yes, it's very special we're together. Yeah, we, we don't get to do it often. I both feel like we know you a little bit from, <laughs> from your journey. And, and you. um, I don't know if you know this quote. It's not just about where you're going that it's important in life. It's also about how you get there. Yeah, and um, how you got to where you are is very unique. And we wanted to know if you can share what inspired you to become religious and what inspires you to remain religious today. That's a big part of your journey. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And it's so nice to meet you this way. Um, yeah, so um, I guess my story kind of tells it all. Um, it was like Hashem put a carrot on the stick, which was my relationship. And that was the direction that I went in. So as long as I wanted that relationship, I kind of kept exploring something, which was Judaism, that was very unfamiliar to me in the way that it was being presented, you know, Orthodox style. And so um, it was, you know, it was difficult. I grew up in Muncie, actually, or right near Muncie. And so I would see um, people who were also Jewish, but I couldn't relate to them. And there really wasn't much of a connection, at least, you know, 30 years ago. So I had a lot of preconceived notions. And um, yeah, so I just kept going and exploring. And then eventually you see what happens, um, that the carrot was dropped and I needed to figure it out on my own. So what um, keeps me religious was was that process, that process of going very deep in and really believing that the Torah is true and that it is from Hashem um, and that this is who I am as a Jewish person. That's really what landed for me. You know, when I was in Israel and some people were saying, well, this is good for you or, you know, just do another mitzvah. Like it meant nothing to me. I was not going to, it just felt unfamiliar and it felt I liked what I was doing before. Why would I change? But when I landed at Beis Hana and with Rabbi Friedman and kind of battling it out that way and hearing that this is just who you are, this is how you're made, then there's no escape, really. <laughs> you can, you know, when you really believe that, then it's just like, I don't have to do it, but there's always going to be feeling like something's not not really in alignment. And so that's what that's what also still keeps me going, that I always just you know, even if things feel difficult or look difficult, it's it's always searching for Hashem and and the Torah truth of perspective that perspective in what's going on. Right. So, so you went through this amazing journey where initially, um, 
like orthodox life was something you were, you know, staying away from, and then you moved toward it. Um, and then fast forward, and we're going to kind of jump around a little bit sure. about your journey and what you do, but you wrote a book called God Said What, which yes. Rivka and I both read. I have like, I have a couple of, I have like four, a few chapters to go, but Rivka filled me in on the ending. So I like, really we like to be prepared. So, um, so can you it's, tell a bit, it's a thick book. I know. I know. You know, I also wanted it to be large font. You know, right. I'm like 50. I just turned 56. So it's you kind of amazing. like, yeah, <laughs> thank you. So I wanted it to be large font for people to read. So it, it is an it easy bigger. read. It's it's a yeah. real page turner. You want to know that your story when you when you that's the it, thing. Right? I feel like there's nothing in there that I would take out. Yeah, like everything mm-hmm. is so is so important, especially when you're sharing like a, a timeline, you know, a, a story as it progresses. Yeah. But I'd love yeah. to know. Tell us about the title. Why did you what made you call it? God said what? <laughs> yeah. So, um, cause that's how I felt in Israel when I was learning about Judaism, <laughs> Orthodox Judaism. I was like, are you kidding me? And you could see from the book, I just keep asking that question. I literally felt like I was in shock and I didn't have any of my somatic tools that, you know, when I was going through this process 30 years ago, I was just constantly in a state of fight, flight, and freeze, um, wanting to run wanting to argue, wanting to like, what is this? And so God said, what? It's like, really? You know, it's one thing I didn't, I didn't necessarily believe in God growing up. Some people have that. They always know that there's a creator. They always feel something. So I didn't have that experience. And then, you know, I knew a little bit about different religions, but then when I started to learn about Orthodox Judaism and people saying, no, God said this, and God said that. And it's like, are you serious? Like, you really think God cares what you eat, what you wear? Like, it's that kind of God. And and God really said these things. So it was always this. So it's kind of like that shock factor of like, are you kidding? Like, God said what? <laughs> so that's where the title came from. <laughs> that's great. That's great. I love it. So and along those lines, um, I think I, I kind of connected with the title to an extent, because I feel like there's a lot of things that are written in the Torah first that don't make sense, um, that we don't understand. And also some people might say that the Torah is a bit chauvinist, right? Why do men have to do all this and not women? Like, why are women, you know, in the, like in the background, like, why aren't we, or if people might ask, like, why don't women have to wear to fill in? Why don't women, you know, Davin alongside men, all these questions and something that you wrote really struck me. Um, in the book about about the laws of family purity, how you know if the Torah was written by men, um, let's say we're for men, I guess you can clarify that for us. But um, um, then it wouldn't make sense for that the family purity laws to be written that way, right? Why would a man want it to be that way? Right. Um, so I'm just wondering if you can just talk a little about that and like maybe when did you come to that realization? I'd love to hear more about that experience for you. Yeah. So, so again, I was very resistant and I was armed with all those books about, you know, women in Judaism. Like I was prepared, like there was, there was, there was also like that, con- like even with the title, like it's that constant, you know, as, as I was learning and eat, like I would keep, there would be these roadblocks of it's not possible that this is true, or it's not possible that God said that, or it's not possible that this is, you know, it was, it was just so even with, but the, I was lucky because the classes on dating, 
um, were at the beginning. And so it, it left a little opening for me to say, okay, I don't think a man would write, you know, when you're dating, don't touch. Like that to me just was like, that was curious because <laughs> why would, why would a man write that? You know, it's one thing that I know that some religions, they're, they're celibate, but that's like a complete removal. And what I kept realizing was with Judaism, it's in the world and yet above the world, in the world, above the world. So that was, and then, you know, because of my own pain with dating, you know, my boyfriend and the on and the off and the confusion, um, I just thought, wow, to marry, but both people to have in mind that they're really looking to get um, to, to date and have in mind that they're looking to get married. That just sounds so like right on. So it was those things that, you know, made it stand out for me. And then, of course, the Nita laws, um, that was also something like what man would have written that. And so then it was a little bit like, OK, maybe maybe God could have said something like this. Maybe it doesn't come from men, you know, and then but then even as it unfolds and you keep learning, there's still the differences between what a woman does and what a man does. And that was also like a paradigm shift for me, like a real click. Cause at first it was like fighting it. And then it was the realization that no, we have our way of doing things. Hashem has like a role for each one of us, a purpose for each one. And that I don't need to look at the men and see what they're doing and think that it's better than what Hashem has for me. So that was a, that was also a paradigm shift that it's really not explainable until someone like until someone has that click. Because as you see in the world, there's so many women, they'll put on a yarmulke, they'll put on a talus, they'll want this role in shul. And that disappeared for me once I realized, like, that's not my job. I don't need it. And who anyway wants to be rushing out of the house to, I mean, men have it hard. It's just, you know, not one of us is oppressed, you know, or suppressed or anything. It's just, this is how we serve. So that was really, I guess that was a good paradigm shift for me. That's such a good way of looking at it. As it's almost like if someone has like an inferiority complex, mm-hmm. right? Everyone else is going to be seen as better than them, even if maybe that's not the case. Right. You know, right. So maybe that's part of it. That's a very interesting perspective. Yeah, yeah I also it, was, think, it was a paradigm shift. Yeah. Right. I know. I, th- I also think that that thought applies to relationships in general, like I'd say with parents or with, or with a husband or, or wife or children, like we're trying to change someone else or trying to take on some other role or, or even just compare yourself to someone else and feel like you have to be more like that when really our role is to be the best versions of ourselves. Yes. And so that's a constant devote. I think for all of us, that's part of becoming whole is um, when you see another person doing something that you're not doing and then you feel bad about it. And it's like knowing that Hashem has a path for you and to keep like syncing up with that path and becoming more whole in yourself. And so, yeah, very, very important. So when you were talking about um, some of the things you were fighting along the way, what were some of those greatest, what were some of your greatest challenges you faced when you were becoming religious? Yeah. So um, you had a lot of boundaries to take on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So it was first, um, it was the men, women stuff that was hard. Not really the men stuff is really the women stuff. It's um, just not being who I felt comfortable being. That was, that was hard. Um, It was 
trying to, I really bad, like I really wanted to believe what I was being told, obviously, because there was that carrot on the stick, but I really didn't believe it. Like, and I really kept not believing it. And that was, that was hard. Like even my father-in-law who came to visit had a much easier time, you know, within two weeks than I did, you know, so I was really struggling. Also, you know, um, I think for any Balas Chuva, it's, it's kind of giving up the life that we were used to. There's a lot of grief that happens with that. And there's a lot of confusion on both ends, meaning the person who's making the changes and the people who are victims to the changes, the families, the friends. So I, it's interesting because I had put, I had written the book and then I thought, well, for sure, God wants this out there in the world. I'm going to get it traditionally published. And I had reached out to about 50, you know, agents and, um, you know, publishing houses. And I was going for, I wanted it to be a book for the masses, for non-Jews and for, you know, Jews with backgrounds, Jews who are observant, not observant, like it didn't matter. It needed to be for everyone. So I was trying with non-Jewish publishing, publishing places, but this is not the atmosphere. They, they love, they love people leaving religion, not re- people coming into religion. So after about 50 letters and I worked on them with my editor, cause each place wanted something different. I, you know, I got burnt out and I just put it aside and I didn't know how am I going to get this book published, but I wrote a second book and the second book was, it's for really for, you know, FFBs and for Balas Chuvas, but it was mostly for Balas Chuvas, like going through this journey of each transition, uh, making the transition to becoming more religious uh, or the dating and the marriage and parenting because there, there really are such differences. And one, and I've been publishing some of those pieces on um, Chabad.org because it's, um, you know, the way I did it and the way many people do it is doesn't work because Torah is like really, and, and Judaism is really a compassionate religion, a, a kind religion. And yet when we mix in the religious part, we can get kind of fanatic or extreme or forget relationships. And so there's a way to make the transitions with being kind, dropping the judgment, and again, lining up with yourself so that you're strong in what you're doing and not, you know, bringing some baggage onto others. So there's probably a much less painful way of making the transition, but it, it's it's very difficult. It really is. And, and I think that was like the hardest part for sure. I find it so interesting what you said earlier about um, kind of even strange that the major publishing houses, uh, they like books. They like to publish books about people who leave religion and not people who come to it. And like, I wonder about that, especially living in a, in America where there's a lot of people who are embracing religion and it's a free country. Um, And and at the same time, I, I know a lot of people who not a lot, but I know people who have, left religion because that they thought that was the path toward inner peace or self-growth or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then people who have come to religion for the very same reason. So I guess this, this question is twofold is I, I just wanted to get your opinion on the, on this idea that we're more interested as readers in people who are leaving religion. And also like, how do you understand this dichotomy? Like they're going, but they're coming for the very same, you know, very with, with the very same goal. Yeah. 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 So what was interesting was that I lived in the Orthodox community for, you know, probably 20 something years. And then I went through um, a transition where I was um, going towards somatic health 
And, and so I, I, I entered back into the secular world where I had been very removed from it, just, you know, raising my children and all that. And then, and of course, I always had family around, but this was something different. Like I signed up for co- like coach courses and trainings and all that with very much in the secular world with all the enlightenment, with all those different practices. And I, I had to keep filtering everything. And um, I think it's because once you decide that the Torah is from Hashem and, and the halacha is from Hashem, then that always remains above you. So if you want to find peace, if you want to find enlightenment, if you want to find health, it's always got to be within that context. And I think people who leave religion, I think it's because they're emotionally hurt. Something hurt them. They're in pain um, or they didn't get the concept of, you know, this is from Hashem. And so I think uh, that's why people would leave. It's very tempting. I mean, it, it seems so easy. It's just like, well, this isn't working. And, um, and sometimes the school systems don't work well and you see your children in pain and it's just like, what's going on here? Or you have community issues or something. <laughs> it's just like, get me out of here. You know, like a Balashuva could just go, I used to not be religious. I could right. That's what I was going right to say out. is right. that you, you had the opportunity. <laughs> What's interesting is like you had the opportunity to experience it the other way. Whereas if we were born into it. Right. So, so the thought could very well cross our minds since we haven't had the experience. You know, I never got a chance to experience it the other way. Mm-hmm. I want to see what that is. Yes. Yes. And yes. that might make it like, keeps you stronger because, Hey, I've been there. I know what that is. And I know what it means to be connected. Like, you know, the difference. Yeah. Yeah. So for, for both there's challenges, but it, it's usually from pain. And right. what's interesting is that I think about Shiva could think I did the hard part, you know, I rejected my own life, my old life, and now I'm here. And then Hashem makes challenges. We see that challenges with children, challenges with marriages, challenges with Parnassa. And and you're just like, wait, I did the hard part. Here I am. Now life should be easy. And then it's not. And so again, it's that pain factor and trying to imagine like God still wants me doing this. I've dropped everything I knew. I'm still doing, I'm doing this, but, but you're making it painful. Like this is, and so it's to keep doing the exercises of searching for Hashem, finding the light and finding Torah sources and finding Torah people who really understand you and speak to you. There's people can throw advice around. That's really bad. And then for people who have always been from, um, and it looks so good out there and so much easier out there, there is that, you know, I guess a, a Baal has been like, no, I've been there. I know what that's like. Yeah, it can feel good but there's a lot of sheker there too. So I think it's just our Muna and it's constantly looking for Hashem every single day. It's always a practice every day. Because, so because leaving religion, leaving Orthodox life, you know, let's say it's generally coming from a pain point is um, becoming Orthodox when you weren't Orthodox oh. before. Do you feel that the same rules apply or is it or is it different? Like, is it always maybe this longing that you, that a person wants to meet? It's almost like innate, but mm-hmm. but for someone who's becoming about or balashchuva, the Torah is deep and profound and beautiful guidebook that helps a person have a greater life. Whereas maybe leaving religion is like now you're in the wilderness. I don't think I didn't come to Torah from a plane a, a point of pain. 
Yeah, you seem to be having a very good fun life. (laughs) I was having a fun life. (laughs) Right. So, but, but a Jew is always looking for truth and to satisfy their soul. So in a truthful way, really to be in alignment, the answer would be yes, because we're always looking, as you can see, I was always searching for the answer to anti-Semitism and this. So it's, that was another factor that when I was in Beis Khan and I learned like, like Jews have a Jewish soul. So you're always looking, you're never going to be satisfied if you don't find Torah. So that was hard because again, it's like, uh-oh, you know, it's like a rock and a hard place. I can't move forward because this doesn't make sense. And I don't know if I want this, but then you, if this is who you are, then figure it out. And so, so I don't, I don't know if everybody come, I don't think everybody comes from pain, but they might come from searching, looking, then they come upon it. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book in the first place is so people shouldn't be as ignorant as I was. I was like really ignorant. So it was really hard. All these brick walls in front of me of not understanding. So I write this, I realized I had a story. And when I shared the story with people, they liked it. So I thought, let me write it as a book and put concepts in it. So if people want to know about their Judaism, they can know about it. They can know about it and that it doesn't have to be as crazy as it felt to me. So it, you know, it was a good way to, um, to help people with concepts as well. But I think that, you know, we, we're told that Jews are always looking. So there could be a pain point, but not necessarily. And maybe some people who leave religion and they've always been from, from birth, maybe they don't leave from pain, but, but I think a lot of stuff is connected to the emotions. So. I just want to add when you say ignorant that, so what you mean is you, you are a highly educated person. Like you had, you know um, so meaning ignorant in, in, regards to specifically like yeah, I was ignorant in regards to for Judy with Orthodox Judaism, right. mm-hmm. completely ignorant. Right. I mean, I never even heard of Shavuos. Like I, I really thought like, so that was something, but also like when you're a teen, like you really think, you know, things, you know, yeah. and, and then as I've gotten <laughs> older, like even in Torah, I think I know things or I understand things. And then Hashem just keeps, shedding more light sometimes in very <laughs> painful ways. Right. Right. So we're always ignorant. And, and I think with wisdom comes humility and, um, and that's very important. Even with somatic healing, when I first started with somatic healing, I was like, this is the way to save the world. This is it. And then like Hashem brings pain factors and makes me realize, okay, not everything can be solved with somatic healing. Not everybody can be healed. You know, it's just, or they can be healed, but maybe it's a different way. And so it's always that humility. And I feel like the game we're playing on this planet is to surrender and know there is a God and just keep trying to find God and light. And you don't know basically anything. There's so little we know. Yeah. Yeah. You're speaking truth (laughs) while you're saying something so beautiful and profound. I thought this would be a good time to talk about the Lubavitcher Rebbe. You, you dedicated a few chapters to him in your book. And um, I wanted you to share on the podcast, what role the Rebbe and Hasidus played for you on your journey. Yeah. So um, it was the hearing the stories about the Rebbe and then becoming, and then 
becoming trustful of the Rebbe, like understanding the compassion that the Rebbe had, understanding the insight that the Rebbe had to souls and to spirituality. So that that was really, I think, what spoke to me. Like the Rebbe literally stood on, I was on those lines for eight hours, you know, or more. I was not the end of the line. And it was hard. Like, you know, it was just like so boring. What do you do for it? We didn't have, uh, we didn't have cell phones. I nothing. You didn't <laughs> have a podcast do? to listen to. <laughs> right. You didn't have your podcast to put on Audible. No, nothing. <laughs> so it's like, really like, and then we're talking hours and hours and hours, but the Rebbe just stood there because every person was a diamond. So if the Rebbe could see into souls and the Rebbe could see into spirituality and the Rebbe believes this and the Rebbe loves us as the Rebbe does and loves people and has such compassion for people and he's seeing things that I can't. So that trust in, in this spiritual figure in this person, I just feel like, okay, well, the Rebbe believes it to be true. and He knows a lot <laughs> and he can see things I don't. So if I'm not feeling that way, or if I'm not getting it, if I, if it doesn't feel like God is good a lot of times, you know, because certain difficulties are happening, I'm wrong. You know, I'm wrong. So trusting in the Rebbe, knowing the Rebbe believes and the Rebbe sees these things that the Rebbe was seeing, then who am I? Yeah. Yeah. Trust is a big factor. I think like Mm -hmm. just being able to, to trust that Hashem knows what he's doing could be a, a tough Pill to swallow sometimes when things are very difficult, I guess. And this is a good segue now to talk about, you know, what you do. I mean, aside from trusting you, we also have to make a Kaylee and do the work. So uh, can you tell us about what you do? You, you know, you had mentioned somatic healing and the role it played in your life. I'd love to hear more. And for listeners who don't know what, what somatic um, healing is or what a somatic coach does, can you tell us what you do and a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I, I literally was on, um, uh, like a podcast this morning for a Nishmat group, which was beautiful, about 90 women and sharing about mind-body wellness. So somatic healing has to do, somatic has to do with the body. And there's an integration between the mind and the body, meaning what we think affects our body and, and the state of our body affects our thinking too. So when people just go for talk therapy and they're just going into their story and telling their story and it can go round and round and round. But when you do somatic healing, you're going to take them into their body. And something that I I want all women to know and that we did not grow up with this knowledge is that emotions are energy in motion, meaning they're in the body. It's a physical sensation happening. So if someone says, you know, um, you know, my my I can't I can't breathe like I feel it in my chest is something heavy then there's, um, that's where the emotion is. That is the emotion. Um, if someone says their hands feel tingly, so that is an emotion showing up in that way as physical, as a physical sensation. Um, let's say someone gets criticized and their jaw starts to clench. Like if you could imagine a dog will like bare its teeth, it's mad. So we might feel anger here. And then people get migraines because that little shift in the body Um, And so it's the body talking to us and we might with our mind say, well, they didn't mean it. They didn't mean to criticize me. It's just Aunt Matilda always says those things. But meanwhile, your jaw, your teeth clench for a second, you get a migraine and you weren't honest with yourself because your body is telling you 
what Aunt Matilda did wasn't wasn't okay for you. Um, so it's the dropping into the body and and feeling that. It's also to constantly be giving input to our nervous system that we're safe. Unless we're in war, there are people who are in war or we're running or something like that, where we really need to be very tuned into fear because that's true fear. Otherwise, we're going about our day. So we have to be careful with the language that we're speaking to ourselves. Are we putting ourselves down? Are we saying, I should do this, I have to do that? Those are words that cause tension in the body. So how can we re- like relax our nervous system throughout the day um, to keep in mind and to ke- let our mind know we're safe, we're safe, we're safe? Yeah. Really well Yes. Yes. Say someone comes in and they feel like, you know, in their body, this feeling of, let's say, stress or overwhelm. So where, like, what, what does someone do with that? Like, and also how do we differentiate? How do, let's say I differentiate between something that is real and something that, or maybe it's all real, I guess, because you have, we have to listen to everything our body is saying to us, but how do I make the distinction between an emotion that maybe needs more love and care Versus an emotion where I could say, okay, I feel this, but let me just brush it aside, if that makes sense. Right. No, no, it totally makes sense. So I believe in in processing whatever comes up that we can. So if a client comes to me with, I don't even know what's going on, I just feel so anxious. Well, I'll be like, we'll start the session right in the body. Where are you feeling it? What's your mind saying? And so that's how my sessions go. It's where are you feeling it? What is your mind saying? Where are you feeling it? What is your mind saying? So. Um, but for ourselves, there are certain processes that we can do. We can pay attention to the body in certain ways. We, we don't want it. That's the point. And I said it this morning also in the call was that what happens is something happens um, or we think something. And then we immediately, especially as, you know, religious, you know, women will jump to, well, God wanted it that way, or I shouldn't think that way, or I should forgive them. So we're missing the in-between. The in-between is, asking. Yeah, is being honest with ourselves. We have a Yetzirah. We have two parts of the heart. So I feel like with the, with the work that I do, and, um, and this is what does raise vibrations in people, is that let's not skip the middle part. Let's look at the middle part. What's your body saying? What's your mind saying? You know, um, how do we own our shadow? What we see in another person that triggers, triggers us, whether it's good or bad. Um, and so when we become more whole, starting with honesty with ourselves, then we can kind of figure all this stuff out. But it has to do with the processing. Now, if someone can, you know, let's say they, um, you know, hashkacha practice, something happens and someone's supposed to show up for an appointment and then doesn't. Like we, we might be elevated enough that we can go, okay, Shem wanted it that way. That's great. If you don't have any big emotions around it, no worries. You know, we want to jump to everything is from Hashem. But if we're feeling sad, depressed, disappointed, angry, frustrated, feel it, feel it in the body and be honest. And then, and then we know it's from Hashem anyway, but your body wants you to know some, something sometimes, or there's old stuff. You could be saying, oh, I'm never seen. And that's why they didn't show up. They don't care about me. And this happens in marriage and relationships all the time. So it's, but it starts, it starts with honesty. If we can't make that, that clean jump to this is from Hashem, I'll deal with it. It's okay. 
You know what's beautiful about this is that really this approach is very Hasidic because the mind, mm-hmm. body, and soul are all con- all connected. Yeah. But um, sometimes you know it it's easy to say in theory, but then you could have all these thing thoughts going on in your head, and it's not really connecting to your body. Like you're not really feeling anything in your body. Right. So when you guide somebody and they come to you and they say they're very emotional about something, but they're not feeling anything in their body, like they're fine with their body. How would you connect everything? Yeah. So most of us aren't tuned into our body at all. Like we're just, we're always in the head. Like if someone's ruminating, drop into the body. But so it just takes a little practice and awareness of feeling the feet on the floor, feeling the body in the chair. So we just do it in very subtle, gentle ways because not everybody's aware of the body, including me. I'll forget to deal with my body as well. I'll give a great example. I was once walking home. It was after Shabbos. It was dark and a rat jumped out of the bushes somewhere. And it was like a big startle in my body. And as I kept walking, you know, I felt like, oh my gosh, like I'm sure my shoulders were here. I was just like a mess. And I kept ruminating about it. And then I remembered, I'm a mind body healer. I know how to deal with it. Drop (laughs) into the body. So, So then I realized, oh, okay. So where am I feeling it? Oh, I had all these swirling sensations in my stomach and my chest. So I just, as I kept walking, I put a hand here, I put a hand, one on my chest, one on my stomach. And all I did as I was walking was noticing the swirling, the swirling, the swirling, the big sensations. Ah, And even in my imagination, which you can use for part of healing, I imagined like wanting to just scream and freak out, which I wasn't going to do. I was in the, you know, walking on the sidewalk. (laughs) And, um, and then by the time I got home, which was five minutes later, the, I wasn't even thinking like I, I was, my mind was on something else because it frees the mind when you drop mm-hmm. into the body. So if right. you ever find yourself ruminating, sit down and just go, okay, I feel my feet on the floor. I'm breathing. I can feel my body in the chair. What's going on in my body? Oh, I feel this. I feel that. And, and sometimes sensations get stuck. Sometimes there's old energy there. There's pain. You probably heard of Dr. Sarno. Have you heard of Dr. Sarno yes. work? Yeah. yeah. So that's, again, he calls there's like inner rage there. So I work with people with that as well. Meaning when there's physical pain in the body, that's mind body symptoms. So we always pay attention to pain, but it could be coming from an emotional source. Right. So once you identify that pain physically in your body and you do that work, does it make it easier if someone says or does something that's hurtful to know whether it's worth letting it go or you know, addressing it, saying this is not okay or whatever it is. Um, yeah. So when you drop that. into the body, you can, you can hear intuition sometimes right. um, whether to speak up or not speak up. Some people, they won't hear you. So right. then it's not worth speaking up. Then there's ways to speak up. You know, the whole marriage thing, I was trained with Laura Doyle and like, I love her skills. I love her skills, but I always combine it with the somatic work because I never want people not being honest with themselves but um, but a lot of her skills, it's not about having those long conversations with your husband about how he did everything wrong, right. not about that. So it's kind of like processing for yourself. And then if you can speak up, how are you going to do it? What words are you going to use? And it and the charge also isn't there as well, because you've already sat with it and gotten bigger with it or expressed yourself honestly to yourself and to Hashem. It's only you and Hashem when you're right. when you start out. So you're saying connecting the mind and body brings a strong intuition and clarity. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's yeah. really cool. 
Yes. It's really cool. Like you can access your intuition through the body and we're not always going to act on our body. Like that's the mm-hmm. thing Our we can feel really mad about something. Like I'm, I'm, I don't know if you've heard of, heard of twisted parenting or Avi Fishoff. So um, I love the work that he does in the world. And, you know, he has a completely different approach to parenting when there's a child in pain, it's not intuitive at all. And it's not what our body feels. Our body might feel like, no, this doesn't feel good, but you feel empowered because Hashem always wants you to put your seichel above everything that you're feeling. So just because you're feeling something doesn't mean you act on it, but it does right. mean you can pay attention to it. Right. And be so aware. Like be and be aware. Right. Yeah. 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 You can be aware of it. Wow. Like if you're with your boss and your boss says something rude to you and you feel it in your body, you're probably not going to act on it, but you need to process it away from the boss and, and then see, am I going to get a new job? Can I talk to him about it? What does this mean? How am I taking this? You know, do I have an inferiority complex? So when he says it this way, I take it this way. You know, okay. We interviewed um, uh, a psychiatrist uh, from Harvard. Her name is Dr. Naidu. Dr. Uma Naidu. Have you heard of her? And she she wrote a book called Your Brain on Food, which is this is your brain on food. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So and she she talked about the how the gut has serotonin in it, like Mm -hmm. and so like that. There's a very strong body brain connection that that's even proven by science. I thought that was very interesting, very cool that she was able to like bring in that. um, Yeah, and that the, the. the, what is what what we eat does make a difference. It becomes part of ourselves. And I have a son healing from um, Lyme, Lyme tick and, and also pandas. And for wow. him, he's found um, like some a naturopath in New Zealand that he just there's tons of free videos online, but he's healing his gut. And that has created incredible healing. So there's all these pieces, but Hashem doesn't yeah. want us to ignore the body as we see. Right. Yeah. But you made an important point that the, the mind and the body, we're trying to get to a, pla- to a place of connecting them, but mm-hmm. the mind's got a rule. Like we can't allow our bodies to take over. Yeah. So that's, that's why halacha rules. You know, I right. can feel this way. I can feel like, oh my gosh, I've been so hurt by my community. I'm just going to leave. And you can feel that really big in your body, but you're not going to always act on that. You're going to, you got to process it. You right. got to figure out like what's going on here. Yeah. But what would you say about um, the line that the mind can lie, but the body doesn't? Right. So that is, um, again, not ignoring the body. So right. that that's like, again, going back to that Aunt Matilda, like Aunt Matilda will say something critical. And um, if the person just stays with the mind, she didn't mean it. That's just Aunt Matilda. It's not going to feel good. If the body right. is saying, if the body shrinks and feels sad, the body's not lying. And so we process it in the body and we find out how do I keep my connection with Aunt Matilda, you know, or what can I do differently? Maybe when Aunt Matilda starts saying something, I do it differently. So there's all these wonderful skills to use in communication and everything in marriage. And it's not acting on what the body is sharing, but it's definitely processing what the body is sharing. So you bring up marriage. Yes. I, we were, you know, we're having a discussion, you know, whenever we prepare our questions, we go into all sorts of tangents. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Cause you discuss so much great stuff. (laughs) Um, But uh, we wanted to know your, your opinion because you are a relationship coach as well. Mm -hmm. And 
I was, we were both wondering your, what your view is on therapy for couples, whether it's a good idea to go to therapy separately or together, which way is more beneficial. Right. Mm. Cause on the one hand, like people are bringing emotional baggage into their relationships, um, which they have to work on. But then on the other hand, you know, there is always, I mean, if there's a, a, a relational issue, it's also about the dynamics. So like, I just wonder, yeah, I wonder, you know, you know, cause when sometimes you go to therapy, the therapist is kind of feeding off what you're sharing with them. Right. They only get one side and they only get one side and then they're kind of empowered with their thoughts. Yeah. You know what it's I mean? A mess. <laughs> and then the, the spouse is empowered with their thoughts and it, and it doesn't help bring them together. Do you, do you right. believe that to be true? Oh. Yeah. So what's interesting is that I love the work of Laura Doyle. And I, I trained with her. I didn't become one of her certified coaches because she's very strict about her modality needs to be used. And I liked my somatic modality. So, but I love the training. I love the books and the wisdom in there. I don't believe in ignoring the body at all. So again, it's an integration of, of work that we do. Um, but I like how she recognizes that if we look you know, men, men are raised in a culture of shame and humiliation. Sometimes it's just the male culture. I have a bunch of boys. I see what they do to each other. Uh, how many teenage. boys do you have? Five. Kanahara. Oh, Kanahara, same here. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then gave me one girl. <laughs> one. Wow. You'd like, you got to have at a, the end, at the end. At the oh, end. really your baby. How old is she? She's 14 now. Thank God. Very nice. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, and I was, I grew up with girls. So I, I was like, what is this? So I love the, By the way, I just want to share. I have the opposite as you, I have three girls and then five boys. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> okay. Well, at least you started out with the girls. <laughs> That's some sanity there. <laughs> I always just say to Hashem, like, how do you expect me as a woman to raise boys? Like what's going on here? You know? So I like the work of Laura Doyle and, and some other people that I've read as well who recognize the differences between men and women. And mm -hmm. so it's very easy as women, um, men know that women think differently than them, but women don't realize that men think differently than them. Yeah, it's, men hard are to, always, it's, hard to, it's hard to accept. Yeah, <laughs> we do because we'll talk to a man like we're talking to our friend and we just think not only do they understand us, but Hey, I need help with the garbage, you know, and, and men know men are always filtering themselves. They know they're different than women. And so when they're with women, they'll filter themselves, hopefully. Um, but when they're with each other, you know, who knows what they're, what they're doing or talking about or whatever. So, so that it's great when you are with um, either therapists or read books that recognize that difference. And so women can speak to their husbands in a way that trigger that shame. If the man feels the energy of judgment, the energy of like, you're not getting this right, you're not making me happy, you're failing again, it triggers their shame, which is anyway, usually already there. Um, and, and it will just get worse. They'll either, you know, get silent, they'll go into their cave, or again, that fight, flight, freeze response, mm -hmm. you know, they will, or they'll argue. So there's tools we can use to make a big difference in marriage. So in terms of going to therapists, um, it can be a disaster. It can really be a disaster because if you go together, then you say things that 
that you can never take back those words and your right. spouse is exposed to that. Yeah, that's and, what a lot of people have fear of. I'm scared I'm right. going to say certain things that are going to hurt them. Exactly. Then if you go separate, it depends what's being empowered. Right. So it's what happened was um, for, for so for me, I work with women. You, usually I work, I work with some men as well. And so I'll share some of the Laura Doyle stuff as well as somatic processing and other things. And that's in my relationship work that I do. And my husband became a counselor. So he's really, um, yeah, he's a marriage and family therapist. So we actually have a program together for couples. So what he'll do is that he speaks to both the husband and wife separately and, um, and then has some together sessions that are very safe. And this is all over the phone or zoom um, that are very safe because he's prepared each one of them already for, you know, it's not going to be just a blame game or anything like that. Or if it, or if there are some deep wounds, it, the couple already knows. And then I work with the women, so um, I'll do three somatic sessions with the with the woman with the wife, and then my husband speaks to both of them. Um, and so that's very safe. That's very safe. So if you can find counseling that's safe, great. That's fantastic. You know, Actually, yeah. Ida just became a mental health counselor. Okay. And she said, when we were discussing this, she just, she said just that she said, you need a combination of the two. Like if Mm -hmm. you can talk together and talk separately, there you go. Yeah. 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 (laughs) There are a lot of bad therapists out there also. Mm -hmm. So I feel like even having the two both at least gives, can give you a little bit more perspective. um, Rabbi Shays Taub says some, that uh, some people emerge from therapy, bigger jerks than they were before they came in. So (laughs) We gotta, we gotta, we gotta be paying attention. Are things, are things becoming better, you know, or, or worse? Am I more resentful of my spouse after individual therapy or less? So all those things that people don't know to pay attention to. Right. But sometimes they can look at it. I'm empowered now to be able to leave my husband. Very tricky. It's very tricky. You you mentioned your husband and I really want to bring this up. Mm -hmm. You have like a really unique love story and it's a beautiful one in that you ended up marrying your childhood sweetheart, mm-hmm. both formerly secular, each adopting religion in different ways and reuniting on a new path. Has your definition of love changed over time? Radically. Radically? <laughs> Tell us how. <laughs> well, when you're young, it's kind of like that in love infatuate, infatuation, you know. There's a great book out there called... Um, uh, Oh, it's about, I don't know if you've heard of it. Um, 10, I think it's called like 10 stupid things, married couple, wise married couples do or something, or it's very interesting. And it talks about like, Hashem will give us infatuation to get us, you know, married, but then love is completely different. And so it's love, it's understanding. Hey, we're in this together. So if I'm being triggered, what's going on. And it's really about elevation. And it's really about, it's really about serving Hashem. Like I love that in terms of the whole religious um, way of doing things. It's me, you, and God. And if you're both there to serve Hashem, that's good. Because then, then you're going to find the tools that work, even if you're not getting along, because you know, Hashem wants something from you, you know, um, so anyway, so love is really about, um, yeah, that growth together, the understanding and the compassion and working things through, working through things. And it's that marriage commitment that holds 
people together, hopefully through the rough times. Now it's become much easier, but not better necessarily with the divorces, you know. It's, yeah, uh, I, yeah. I mean, I think that marriage gives you the opportunity to shine a flashlight on the things that you probably uh, are, are probably pain points, but also need to be addressed. And that's why I think it's such a great opportunity for self-growth and to become a better person. And not that I'm against the idea of divorce, obviously in extreme circumstances, it's necessary. Um, but I do find that, you know, when divorce becomes easy way out or like a, an option that really hasn't been fully explored, then it, then a person and tell me what, you know, what your thoughts are on this is like a, that a person tends to bring those same pains into other relationships as well. Yeah. And that's, be true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think what's interesting is that um, I have this kind of saying that it's like, I used to think I was like a pretty good person until I got married. And then I used <laughs> to think that I was not such a great person, but not that bad until I had kids. And then it's like, you know, it's like all these, it's like getting a PhD in life, you know, <laughs> it's like, what is this? And we just have to keep asking Hashem, please send me who can help? Because again, people, it's heartbreaking when people are trying to keep their marriages together and they go for help and then they don't get what it's they not need. the right person. Yeah. It's, it's kind of sad. like with you finding religion, mm-hmm. you needed the right person, the right time, the right yeah, place. Everything. To help yeah. You. Most 100%. people, didn't you say a percentage of people that percentage of therapists, how many, there's a percentage a of therapists, a high therapists. percentage of therapists that aren't good therapists. Yeah. Like there are more bad ones than good ones. Unfortunately. It's really a shame because, and so we have to ask Hashem, please help me find who I need, please. And, and you might go to someone and then realize they're not the one, and then they're not the one. And you have to keep trying, you know, and there's great books out there also, mm-hmm. you know, like if you're not getting it from a therapist, there's some really good books, you know, written yeah. by great people where, Get a reality check, get a reality check. You know, uh, Gedalia Fenster's out there um, and he's speaking all the time about marriage. And so you're in Florida, so you might have heard of him, but, you know, and and, and also to filter, to filter, because we're going to hear things from people. And even if they're Torah people, it doesn't mean you do everything they say at all. Like that, you got to keep your head on, you have to ask Hashem for wisdom, but we certainly do not blatantly follow anyone at any time ever. It's true. I think that's so, that's so, such so an important, important point. Yeah. yeah like yeah. don't, don't, uh, you know, even a good, a re- even a really good book. Oh, right. or even a good therapist. Yeah. It's like, you still have to know what's, what's vibing with you and what's not. Yeah, like, exactly. A hundred percent. It's very important. So, so the point is, is if, if people do get divorced, they will bring stuff into their next relationship right. if they haven't done their inner work. Yes. A hundred percent. I just, yeah. I want to actually bring up with you because you married your childhood sweet, sweetheart. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there were two, you tell me there are two types of marriages There's one type of marriage where you've like had that infatuation and you marry that person. And then there's the type of person who um, didn't have that in the beginning and either their relationship grows and evolves or like they're always searching for that. And I was just wondering from your story, like, is it hard in a way when you marry your childhood sweetheart and then, and you had all that infatuation and then you have to come to realize that it actually takes work. Yeah, that was hard. 
because yeah you had because you had a gift yeah you had a gift and you were used to this gift of infatuation I just wonder what way is yeah and then there's the other not easier anyway yeah (laughs) it's just a different challenge yeah it's a different challenge it's a different challenge but I think what was so funny for my husband and I was that we knew each other really well in college like we really yeah. did. And then we knew each other when I went to Israel. I mean, we knew, we thought we knew each other. We thought we were so much alike until we got married. So right. I feel like Hashem. And you knew each other for so long. We knew each other for so long. I remember <laughs> when I was secular and I would hear someone would tell me, like I did this, um, you know, rehab with seals. So every, before I was from, I would go every Friday night and I would, you know, have the 3 a.m. and uh, 4 a.m. shifts with feeding baby seals. You know, we were rehabbing them to put them back in the ocean. And one of the women that was the volunteer with me, she had been living together with someone for 11 years and then they got married and divorced. And I remembered that I was completely secular. I was like, what? How is that even possible? So that's why that was another opening for me with Torah, because something wasn't working in the secular world. But um, my husband and I used to think we were so much alike. And then we got married and we realized we're so different. And to till today, it is shocking how different we are. And why didn't we see it then? Why, why didn't we see it? Because I don't know. I feel like Hashem just slowly takes off veils and slowly puts you in different circumstances to reveal different things. But yeah, it's, and, uh, yeah. yeah, and like Ida said, there's like there's this flashlight that kind of like <laughs> our spouses bring certain things out in us, and um, that we yes, may look at you. Look at you. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they come in the form of triggers. Yeah, exactly. I think it's important for young couples to hear this because um, there's this infatuation and then it's like this harsh reality when you get married that it actually takes work. And I think it would be, it's good for them to hear from you that you can, well, what would you say? What do you, is this, I hope this is not too blunt, but what would you say your relationship is like now? Oh, it's great. Thank God. <laughs> no, no, thank no, thank God I can say that honestly. But we went through rough times. We went through rough times. And you know, you read the book. So you know who yeah. told me to marry him. I mean, like yes. hello. So this was my Bashir. There's no question. And yet we went through rough times. How is that possible? So that's why it's like to keep raising yourself up to what does Hashem want here? Like I know this, I could not get away saying that's it's not the right person. Like I couldn't say that. Like I had a direct, you know, prophecy kind of thing. So it's yeah, like, for whoever hasn't read the book. Um, this is a spoiler alert for sure. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's not share anymore. Yeah, okay. We'll, we'll you have book. to read the book. We'll share and, the link in the end. Yes. <laughs> but so, so that's the key. The key is, is keep, you know, again, if for people who are getting married, it's like be, get prepared in the way that you can. Meaning there are great books out there. Like, I, I think it's, 10 Stupid Mistakes That Smart Couples Make. That's the name of one of the books. Oh, cool. And then that's one of the flashlights. He's shining flashlights. There's a Shanti Feldhand. She has written a book called For Men Only, For Women Only. Also Mm -hmm. very good. I wrote a marriage e-guide. My husband Mm -hmm. writes tons of stuff. Um, You know, not just blog posts, but like guides. And he's on Twitter all the time sharing relationship stuff. He's over, he has over 20,000 followers, and they're mostly non Jewish people who love what he's sharing. They can feel the emiss of what he's sharing. What's your husband's name for those who? David Feldman. 
Right. So yeah. we'll share. I'll, I'll, I will yeah. share these links in the podcast. Yeah. Notes so he has something great. called Building Great Marriages. He has a website. I have my website. I have, um, you know, six tips to up the vibe of your marriage. So all these things are like, use them. Use yeah, them. I, I, um, I did re- read some of the articles that you wrote on, on your website, mm-hmm. and I thought they were great. Um, You're such a good writer. Good. Yeah. Thank God. Thank God. Yeah. Um, so you, so you said the word vibe. So something, so a question came up and some, it's a word that we hear a lot. It's like good vibes only let's raise our vibes. And then we're like the frequency, right? Let's mm-hmm. like up our frequency. I think a lot of people don't really, uh, myself included at a certain point, I did some more research into it, but like, what it, what does it actually mean to raise your frequency? Yeah. 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 So I think that, you know, it's, it seems like a new age term, but everything's really from the Torah because we know that um, where our thoughts are, that's where we are. Um, and we're always looking at the world from a spiritual perspective. I took, um, I was grateful to take a numerology course um, with Ori Esther Ryder. You know, everything's letters, 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 you know, and energy. So when we, um, when we do the inner work, uh, including the shadow work, and we become more whole, and we look at those triggers, and we try to release some traumas, um, some childhood stuff from the past. Um, then we're healthier inside. We've cleaned out some of the gunk. And then um, we just start, I guess, vibrating or being at a higher frequency because we're not as judgmental. We always want to be discerning, but judgment is something different. Um we're thinking more positive thoughts and loving ourselves more. I always have women celebrate themselves throughout the day. I said, put your arms up, say, yay, me. So that brings um, blood flow to the brain, which brings oxygen, which brings, you know, good feeling, you know, endorphins and everything like that. Plus, so when we start doing all that kind of inner work, we're a much more safer, uh, elevated human being and people feel safer and you know, if we're, if we're all walking nervous systems, so if I'm a nervous system walking around with constantly being in fight, flight and freeze, you know, I'm sure you've met those people before or so defensive, you know? Um, so they have stuff inside that they haven't been able to release, you know, but the more we make ourselves safe, you know, we feel safe and we walk around feeling safe. People can feel that, you know, that energy. energy from us. Yeah, that energy from us. So I would say that's a higher vibe. We look at the land of Israel, it's from Yetzirah. It's a higher vibe, you know, and if everything comes in through the letters and the energy of the letters and the way that Siddiquim used to heal people, like switching letters around, you know, which obviously we don't have access to now. So there really is something to that frequency and that vibe. Yeah, I think, and I also, I feel like frequency, like the whole idea of positive thinking, like raising your frequency, it, it doesn't, I don't know that it means that we're like the stuff that needs to be addressed is not being addressed. Like we could still be at a higher frequency and address certain things. Like for example, with someone with anxiety, right? Anxiety has two sides, right? You have the side where that's, you know, destructive and maladaptive, right? Because you're always worrying, worrying about the future. And then there's a side of you that's planning, right? So people mm-hmm. with anxiety right. tend to plan a lot. So right. the the part of you that wants to plan is not going to become annihilated if you work through the anxiety. Like you'll still you'll still have that. You know, you'll just it'll be like a healthier yeah. type. 
So yeah, with, that's with beautiful. The, so with the with yeah, with our energy, if we raise our vibes or increase our frequency, it's not that we're gonna just be like, "Ooh la la, nothing bothers us anymore." Right. We'll still, in a more healthy way, be able to address the things that are kind of holding us back. Yeah, hundred percent. There's a book there um, by Carla McLaren. She writes books about emotions, and she wrote a book about anxiety and how anxiety there's a purpose to it. And part of that purpose, if you lift up anxiety, there's really three emotions there. It's um, sadness, anger, and fear. So when you're realizing that you, you know, you need to plan. So there's a little anxiety because you've got to get packed or you've got to get some tests done or something like that. And you recognize it for what it is. Then you hear the message of what it's telling you, which is take some time out, and plan because otherwise you're like a nervous mess. But if we take that anxiety and we start yelling at people, that's where like the, that's where it doesn't work. So um, yeah. And then feeling it in the body helps. And yeah. You know, um, recently someone had said to me, like, I'm scared when I raise my frequency that I'm going to lose myself. I'm going to lose my personality that I, the parts that I actually like. And I was thinking about it and I was thinking those times when I feel like, hey, I I raised my frequency. It's that we have, um, if we have something positive, we also have that same thing in the negative. We have something negative, we have that same thing in the positive. And it's really just bringing out the positive of that quality, those qualities that we have. Yeah, it's like the gold. And that's why the somatic works works so well is because you're you're feeling all this stuff inside, but let's extract the gold. What's there? What's the discernment that, you know, we have to see people who they are. So if Aunt Matilda is a critical, not nice person, we need to know what we're dealing with. You know, can we make her happier by, you know, showing up with different energy? Yeah, maybe that's, you know, maybe that's what's going on. So it's always like a playground. It's like this world is like a playground in a way, like, nothing, you know, everything's unique and each person is unique and even the emotions are unique and we don't know what they're telling us. Everything just changes. Just like that's why in emotions being energy in motion as physical sensations in the body, they change, they change. And so to know that and to try to extract the wisdom, you know, from them. Yeah. But I don't think, I think people become better, healthier versions of themselves as much as they can, because then, you know, Hashem brings things to us and we're never done. We're not done. You know, it's just Hashem can bring, we could think we're doing fine. And then Hashem brings us something else to deal with. And then we're at the low end of the totem pole, like with not knowing anything. Just when we've reached the frequency, we've got something else to deal with. (laughs) And that's the, that's the humility. That's the humility is that I'm not in charge. Hashem has a purpose for this. And okay, what do I need to learn now? I have one more question, and then we'll go, we'll go till we have a finish the sentence. We could talk to you do. all day. <laughs> I no, could talk to you my... two all day. It's fascinating what we can share, right? Yes. Yeah, and we so appreciate you taking the time to speak to us. But I, I just so this is more personal. I okay. um, when it comes to emotions and and gut feelings, certain experiences that come my way. Let's say if I have an opportunity to, to speak or to give a workshop, I think often. I question, like there's something that comes up within me. Like, I don't know that I'm prepared or, you know, the person to do this thing. So my, the inclination is always to say, to say no, or to turn it down Mm -hmm. because only because I feel like, well, there's so many other people who are better suited, especially to talk about this particular subject. 
but then they did ask. So I grapple with that. And I don't, okay. and I often, I often will veer up more on the side of no, mm-hmm. which I know is more ego and, and as opposed to yes, which I would imagine is more humility. Can I add to that? I have the same thoughts, except I do the opposite. I say yes. (laughs) I'm like, okay, they asked me, I can do this. And then as soon as I say yes, I'm like, one second, there's so many other people that could do this. I don't know if I'm good enough. I go through all those thoughts, but I say yes. That's that's great. Because again, this book could not have gotten written if I didn't fight all that. If I didn't fight all that you're sharing with me. So we have gremlins. We have the gremlins that say, uh, someone else could do it better. Who's going to read it? You know, uh, there's so many roadblocks when you're on your journey, you know? And so, um, so I think the key is, is that again, lining up with Hashem, I'm an introvert for me to put a story like that out there. And for me to be showing up online and hi, my, this is my book. You know, <laughs> like it's like, I can relate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like when I started becoming a coach, I wasn't even online and um, on all my trainings, they were like online and people are saying, well, didn't you see that on Facebook? I'm like, no, I'm not even on Facebook. But then when I got the idea to write the book and I, I really wrote the book again, to share um, all these Jewish concepts with people and to uplift people and inspire people that. And that's just what it does. And that's yeah, what we wanted to God, interview you. Thank God. And, and for, for non-Jews to know that we're rolling towards Gaula, we're not rolling towards destruction of the planet. So, so I had a higher purpose. And when I started to do some research about, you know, book stuff and they say, you have to have a platform. And I realized, oh, platform means showing up on social media. How am I going to do that as an introvert? So that, um, again, that, that intention that I have something to put out into the world that I pretty much had confidence that Hashem wants me to do that. And that's the string that pulls me forward. So Ida, for you, if people are asking you, which means they're giving you that opportunity, which means they believe in you because they're asking you for a reason. You've shown up here on 50 podcasts, so they kind of know who you are a little bit and they feel you have wisdom to share. If Hashem, if you get the impression that Hashem wants you to do it, then that's your yes. Even if you're afraid, you just, you kind of deal with the inner gremlins and say, oh, someone else could do it or someone like that. If you're thinking like, oh, it's going to take a lot of time and I have, you know, stuff going on in my family that I need to take care of, then it's not Yetzirah or gremlins. And it's kind of like, what do I say yes to? What do I say no to? And then for Rivka, you're saying yes, because you want to do it, but then you get afraid. Not 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 that you're over busy or overwhelmed. You just get afraid. Oh, I do get busy and overwhelmed, but um, <laughs> that's not why. No, but that's so, not yeah. why. Yeah, it's more yeah, so like, it's just afraid. Yeah. So those are the gremlins. Those are just the gremlins. And that's just Yetzirah stuff. And that's ego stuff. And that's like too bad, too bad. Just if Hashem wants you to do it, then just, you know, um, you know, I am surrounded here. I'm at my desk and I'm surrounded by beautiful messages that I print out, hang, hang up, buy in stores of what can keep me going. So, uh, you know, it's just, you know, you're showing up for the people who need to hear your wisdom. And I always make intentions. I always ask Hashem, Hashem that what I'm, you know, please put the words in my mouth that what I'm sharing is what needs to be heard. Um, and so, just being that kind of like servant of like, so Ida, if you have a speaking thing, that engagement that you can go to. We actually um, do. This is very good timing to okay, hear this. Okay, good, good. We're yeah, going to Dubai on Sunday wow, together and it's a big deal, amazing. you know. It is a big deal. <laughs> it is a big deal. So 
So the fact that you're going to Dubai, know that um, you have something beautiful to share that Hashem wants you to share. So even if the messages are coming at you with the gremlins, you know, oh, you're going to just walk in there saying, Hashem, I'm putting myself out there for other people because that's who you're doing it for. You need to show up for the other people. When I show up online with the somatic stuff or the book, or this, it's because Hashem that make, make whoever needs to see it, see it. If I don't show up, they don't even have the potential to see it. But we have marriages to save. We have people, women to uplift, people who are depressed, um, children are suffering. We need to bring joy. Singing brings joy. Like we've got to show up. We've got to show up. You, you've got a job to do. <laughs> so you make you. that the intention and that's the string that pulls you forward. It's the first time we're doing something live together. We both lecture right. or sing separately, but um, we've never, very this is the first time. we're very excited. But, and now this is, very helpful. Thank you for your good. Yeah. And you just, you keep feeling the fear because it's not like the fear is just going to necessarily go away. It's not really fear. It's really vulnerability, you know, and, and you just keep Hashem, please, you know, that it goes smooth that, you know, I show up in the way that, that needs to be heard. The people there, I know whoever Hashem brings me in terms of clients, Hashem's literally handpicking them, you know, so you're showing True. up for Hashem, you're showing up for the other people. And so that's how you believe in yourself. Yeah. Hashem and then also think of the afterwards. Think of like how good you'll feel afterwards. Yeah. Then yeah, you just yeah. feel like, like <laughs> I, yeah, like I didn't know how I was ever going to get this book out there in the world, but then I literally have not stopped dancing. I like dance around the house. Always <laughs> like, it's out there. It's out there. You know, and it's like my story's out there. How vulnerable can I be? I mean, again, I didn't do it for me. So it's like, it's out there. So it's like when you just imagine after the event, yeah, you can celebrate yourself. So start celebrating. It gets you to like exercise, you know, you think yes. about how you feel after and then you, mm -hmm. so you do it. Yeah, the visualization of the afterwards, how good it's going to feel because you're going to make new friends. You're going to meet new people. You're going to uplift people. And so, um, yeah, that's why you're going and doing what you're doing. And like you say, Hashem brings to the table who's meant to be there. Yes, 100%. Always, always. <laughs> yeah. Well, we want to hear what does success mean to you? Like you and your husband were once college students, um, assimilated, secular, liberal, right? I was very liberal. Do what you want, dress what you want, right. say what you say. <laughs> but, and now you um, are in a completely different place and maybe uh, success also, like you say, love, the definition of love changed with time. Has, mm -hmm. has the definition of success changed with time? And what does success mean to you? Yeah. So success is definitely changed with time. Success basically is connected to humility, you know, so celebrating myself daily, you know, and telling other women to do as well. It's those little things, those little things of celebrating yourself. Each moment can be a success, you know, for some people, if they suffer from depression or if they have really hard things going on in their lives, it's successful if they get out of bed and brush their teeth, that's success. So I think it's just connecting with, um, you know, um, feeling like I'm on the path that Hashem wants me to be um, this path and feeling like I did the job that I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. I so that. I would I really say that's that. success. Yeah. That's really great. Cause it's so personal. Yeah, yeah. The individual. Yeah. Totally. And also love that you shared both you shared humility and you also said shared at the same time 
celebrating success. Celebration, and that, yeah. And, that, that's, that and that's humility too, that it's a mm-hmm. combination right. of the two. Right, they're not in conflict. Yeah, because yeah. when you celebrate yourself when I'm going like this, yahoo, yahoo, like, yeah, I'm celebrating myself that I showed up and I'm celebrating, thank you, Hashem. Thank you, Hashem, that you made it happen, that you brought that client to me or that, you know, this is working out or the books out there or whatever, like yay me and yay you. <laughs> Beautiful. So we just want to end off with you finishing a couple of sentences for us. Okay. In the first person, the best advice I ever received was. So the best advice I received was that emotions are energy in motion and they're felt as physical sensations in the body. That was a real, because I've always been called sensitive since I was little. And I thought that all the emotions just sat in the brain. And I didn't know what to do with them. It brought, you know, too much confusion. So to realize they're in the body and then to realize how to access the body and that it's physical sensations that was, um, and that they flow when you notice them, that was a game changer. I know I have clarity when. Uh, I know I have clarity when I hear my intuition, which um, that just feels like a neutral dropping in. Um yeah, it gives me guidance. And then when I show up for Hashem and I feel like I have clarity that way. Yeah. I feel most alive when? Ah, when my book, when my book is out in the world, <laughs> my children are healthy, my husband's healthy, I'm healthy. That's I'm alive. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> okay. So I, I like this one. I don't know why. Something about it. Yes. Um, if I could share something with my younger self, I would tell her that. Okay. So uh, what I would tell my younger self is that there will be breakthroughs and you don't know where they're coming from. But if you just keep going forward in the way that you need to with humility and with space for Hashem, and just keep doing your efforts and there will be break- breakthroughs. It's not always what we think it will be. But if you keep moving forward with humility and with kind of trust and celebration with those efforts, then there will be breakthroughs and good things. That's great. That I love that so you good. that you added that you don't know where they're going to come from. Because no. that allows someone to just kind of ride the waves of life, knowing that it's not up to us to decide where the breakthroughs are going to be breakthroughs are going to be that stuff to Hashem. Yeah, because when we get fixated, that's the mind. And the Rebbe says to go out of our limitations every day, go out of Mitzrayim every day. That's part of the somatic work is what are the limitations of the mind when we get fixated that it has to be this way. Like, be careful because you're going on to an event. So be careful about how you think it should be. You know, that's why you keep asking like Hashem and inviting out. We're, we're showing up. Just help us show us up in the best way possible because Hashem changes things. We know that. When we're fixated, we don't have access to our intuition. But when we breathe and we make our nervous systems feel safer, we have more access to our intuition. So that helps guide us. Nice. Okay, should we wrap up the quote? Even though we don't want to, we will. Um, Do you have a favorite quote or a thought that you live by that was a parting message for us and our listeners? Yes. And I usually have it on my desk. Um, I just love it. So um, each time I do something new, I actually have two. I'd like to share two. Yes, even better. (laughs) Each time I do something new, I'm growing awesome instead of old. 
And that's by a woman named Claire Cook, because as I was writing my book, I was using certain books to help me, to help inspire me to move forward, even with the blockages and the limitations and things changing. So you guys can use that too. Each time I do something new, I'm growing awesome instead of old. Each Love time it. Speak. Yeah, it's really very powerful. Again, Never it's that, that celebration. And then um, be still and know that I am Hashem, which is from Tehillim. And I love that because, again, it's that oh, when I'm in stillness, when I'm in safety, my nervous system is, you know, just giving space or given space, then I can be connected to Hashem. Otherwise, we're running, 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 thinking, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. We don't hear our intuition. We don't feel Hashem. We feel lost. So be still and know that I am God is one of my favorites. Yeah. Be still and know that I am God. It's beautiful. Oops. It's beautiful. 